So if you go to the land of Zebulun and Naphtali, to the way beyond the sea, Galilee of the nations, and you walk into a restaurant, you're likely to be offered a nice plate of fish. St. Peter's fish, they call it. And you'll get it grilled whole and rubbed with olive oil and salt with some nice salad and french fries on the side. And when I was there, and I had my St. Peter's fish, I asked, what kind of fish is it? I wasn't expecting the answer, which was tilapia. <laughs> and I thought, tilapia? I came halfway around the world to eat tilapia? <laughs> this most generic farmed white fish that you get in every fish stick and fast food fish taco? And I thought, surely this was commercialism at its worst. Here is a globalized fish that has made its way into the heart of the Holy Land to my pilgrimage. <laughs> and I was wrong, because it turns out that tilapia are native to the Sea of Galilee. Tilapia are indigenous to the Middle East and parts of Africa. There's an ancient Egyptian hieroglyph for tilapia, which swim in the Nile. And the ones that swim in the Sea of Galilee were one of the main species that fishers like Peter and Andrew caught back in the days of Jesus. So I was wrong about St. Peter's fish. I wasn't completely wrong about tilapia today, however, because back in the 1990s, tilapia farming exploded around the world because this particular kind of fish is cheap to raise and very prolific, and very mild in flavor. They call it aquatic chicken. <laughs> and today, in a drastic change since the 1990s, tilapia is now the third most eaten fish in the United States, after salmon and canned tuna. And tilapia is a good source of protein and it's unobjectionable, and my family eats tilapia in these frozen fillets that we get from Costco. So there is a lot to be said for the humble St. Peter's fish, but there's also a downside. Because tilapia are invasive, and that same quality of being so prolific means that when they escape from a fish farm, or when they're introduced by well-meaning officials into a lake or a river, where they're not native, they tend to outcompete the local fish. So anywhere in the world where the water is warm is fair game for invasive tilapia. Right now in Florida, tilapia are outcompeting local populations of bass and sunfish and catfish. And there are rivers where those fish's populations are down by 50 to 90%. Today, in parts of India, you can visit lakes where the soil alongside the lake is pockmarked by the hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of nests that tilapia dig in the mud along the side of the lake. Turns out that a tilapia in the Sea of Galilee is part of a balanced ecosystem. But a tilapia out of place can end up replacing the natural diversity of species that have evolved together over millions of years with just one kind of species, a monoculture. 
Now today in St. Paul's letter to the Corinthians, we heard Paul cautioning this early generation of Christians against the danger of monocultures. There are factions in the church at Corinth. And the members are divided about which teacher, which apostle they look to for leadership. And so some of them have started to pridefully say, well, I follow Paul. I follow Apollos. I follow Cephas, which is the Aramaic name for Peter, that same disciple. And then what I love is that there is this group who just say, well, I follow Christ. (laughs) Which is a technique that Christians still use sometimes to this day. It sounds good, except when you're using it as just one more, of write, one more way of writing off other Christians you disagree with. And so what Paul writes to them is that the Corinthians should put away their divisions and seek unity. But not the kind of unity that comes from all being the same. Not a monoculture. It turns out that the real church of Jesus needs Paul and Apollos and Cephas. Each of these leaders contributes their own gifts as well as their own flaws to the body of Christ, just as every single member does. Someone has said rightly that unity is not the same thing as uniformity. What we are called to in Jesus is unity, not uniformity. Uniformity means a swarm of identical fish all looking and acting the same. Unity means a balanced ecosystem in all its glorious variety, which is the kind of unity that we're called to in Jesus. Now, right now, many Christians all over the world are celebrating the week of prayer for Christian unity which is a period that runs from the Feast of the Confession of St. Peter, which fell this past Wednesday on January 18th, through the Feast of the Conversion of St. Paul one week later on January 25th. And for about a century, Christians around the world have been observing this as a time to pray for unity in Christ, to pray for that the divisions among different groups of Christians might be ended and that we might have a part to play in that. St. Peter's Feast and St. Paul's Feast, and it's appropriate because these two saints were the two most prominent leaders in the early church. And if you look at icons of them, they're usually depicted with their arms around each other in a pose of perfect harmony and friendship. But if you read the New Testament, it's quite clear that these two saints didn't always get along. Paul pushed hard to include Gentiles, non-Jewish members, of the church as full members without distinction. Peter was more cautious and wanted to hold the church together and to make space for more traditional Jewish members who kept the full law on matters like kosher food and keeping the Sabbath and who believed that the new Gentile converts should do the same. It was a serious conflict a lot like so many of the other conflicts that have divided Christians from each other ever since. From the Reformation in the 1500s that divided Protestants from Catholics, to the conflicts about human sexuality in the 21st century that have so bitterly divided Christians from each other. 
And these conflicts bring up lots of questions, like how do we hold together the prophetic with the pastoral? How do we hold together the freedom of individuals with the need for a common practice and a way of doing things as a community? And the answers would be easy if we were all identical tilapia. But sameness, it seems, is not God's vision for us. And so the conflicts are messy. And we find our way through them with difficulty. But we need to hold on to each other as we do. One of my favorite passages in the book of Revelation is where the saints are in heaven around God's throne and Jesus appears in their midst right next to the throne in the form of a lamb, a lamb that has been slain and come back to life. And the saints sing a song of praise. You are worthy, O lamb that was slain, for you have redeemed us for God as holy ones from every family and language and people and nation from every family, every language, every people, and every nation. That's the vision of the throne of God. And it includes also from every race, from every gender, every sexual orientation, every culture, every age, every kind of body, every kind of mind and personality. God made us as a glorious rainbow of diversity, and every single piece of that diversity is made to enrich the new heaven and the new earth that God is making. So that new heaven and earth includes Christians of every stripe, to be sure. Catholics, and Seventh-day Adventists, and Presbyterians, and Pentecostals, and non-denominational folk, hopefully even Episcopalians too. But it includes also those, I believe, of other faiths, and those of no faith. Because when Jesus says that all people come to God through him, he doesn't stipulate and that includes only those who consciously know me by that name in this lifetime. And it includes, I think, the wider creation too, beyond us humans. It includes those sunfish and bass and the invasive tilapia too, restored to their own right balance. Because the universe wasn't made just for our species alone. A new heaven, a new earth, a rainbow of abundance, a rainbow of diversity. When Jesus called Peter and Andrew to follow him, he said from now on they would be fishers for people. And something I love about this story is that the text makes it clear that Peter and Andrew are fishing with nets. Because there's more than one way to catch fish, right? You can fish with a line. You can put a particular kind of bait on a particular kind of hook. 
to catch a particular fish. Or you can fish with a net and you can just throw a big old net into the lake and drag it around and see what you come up with. And I love the hint that Jesus is a net fisher and that God is indiscriminate about the kind of fish that end up being caught. So may you and I be gathered up in that net along with all the other fish in God's sea those we might choose to share a net with and those perhaps that we might not. One giant wriggling mass of variety and beauty and life abundant.